Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Hey everyone, it's Dave Asprey with Bulletproof Radio. I'm opening up today's uh, today's episode with a shot of espresso from the world's coolest looking espresso cup ever. Check that thing out, handmade ram's head espresso cup. If you're in your car, you missed the coolest shot of espresso ever. But that's all right. We've taken steps to upgrade your audio quality, so you should be hearing it even more crystal clear than before. It's actually a huge upgrade, so if you like the new audio, let me know. Just head on over to iTunes, put up a comment that says you love the new audio, head to Facebook. Just let me know that it worked, or if it didn't work and you're having a problem, I really care about this. I realized Bulletproof Radio has had more than 11 million downloads. That's like 50 lifetimes worth of time, so I would hate to think I spent 50 lifetimes making bad quality audio, so seriously, I want to get it right. Uh, Today's cool fact of the day is not about audio. It's actually about the Belgian blue, which is a breed of cow with the genetic power of selective breeding. They managed to breed in a single genetic defect, which is a faulty myostatin gene. And that makes these cows just hugely bulky and muscular. In fact, they call it a double muscling phenotype. And that trait allows the Belgian blue to have an increased ability to convert feed into muscle, which causes their meat to have less fat, which is kind of a bummer, at least if you're feeding them good stuff. You might also notice, wait a minute, something genetic, not just calories in and calories out, affected muscle mass growth? Oh my goodness, maybe calories in, calories out doesn't explain everything. You just might think that from thinking about something like this, but hey, you know, who's counting calories anyway? What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. 
The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's guest is Dr. Tim Jackson. He's an expert in nutritional biochemistry, digestive health, and the system of the human body, as well as something called functional endocrinology, which is a fascinating field in and of itself, looking at how do you manage the endocrine system, not like an endocrinologist who's going to fix something, but how do you work on the system of your hormone system, and that's way cool. And the reason I invited Tim on today is that he's a featured doctor for the MTHR support group, which is a group of healthcare guys working to look at methylation of DNA, genetic differences in people and how those affect things. If you've listened to one of the 200 or so episodes here, I've talked multiple times about how I have an inability to process folic acid, the chemical form that is in our food, thanks to some government regulation, even though approximately a third of us build up toxic levels of it because we should be using the methylated form called folate. So Tim is here on the show today to talk about that and a whole bunch of other stuff that has to do with making your hormonal system and the whole system of the body and your digestion all work together. So this is a guy who just does all sorts of things that run from the traditional, like Western sort of thing, all the way to traditional, more Eastern sort of uh, things, looking at physical therapy, looking at movement. So a well-rounded guy, and that's why I wanted to have him on. So Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. So it's hard to know what to ask you first because, I mean, you actually have a doctorate in physical therapy and you do active release technique, which is about like trigger points in the body. These are pretty different from functional endocrinology and genetic differences in methylation. So the Renaissance biohacker, is that a good introduction? Well, what I realized is that, you know, after going to undergrad, I had the plan to get my MD and I kind of got bitten by the nutrition and exercise bug as an undergrad. So um, I knew I wouldn't get much of that information in traditional medical school Uh, and I like doing things hands on. So uh, I decided to pursue a doctorate in physical therapy. And all the while, you know, kind of studying on the side on my own, you know, different functional medicine courses and reading different books and research articles from PubMed. And what I came to realize is that uh, I could fix a lot of external problems by balancing the system internally. Because a lot of trigger points, a lot of musculoskeletal imbalances or pain syndromes, joint problems, or just manifestations of hormonal imbalances. A common example would be a frozen shoulder, where you typically have to go to physical therapy for about three months. That's classically associated with hypothyroidism. So I found that you know by balancing vitamins, minerals, hormones, that I really didn't have to put my hands on people anymore and uh, I was getting people better quicker and so I I typically don't do any of the traditional physical therapy stuff anymore I've kind of stuck with the functional medicine and branched just into consulting on that 
And uh, like you said, uh, with the functional endocrinology, you know, and the epigenetics, it all ties in, but it, it's very different than your traditional Western approach uh, because traditional endocrinology, unfortunately, has become a distribution center for diabetes drugs. And so when someone asks me for a referral, you know, for a hormonal problem, I typically tell them, avoid endocrinologists, look for a functional medicine doctor. That's a big statement, avoid endocrinologists. I remember years ago when I was first realizing that something wasn't working with me, uh, that I, I thought I'd seen an endocrinologist, but it was, it, it just wasn't right. It was kind of like, you don't, you're not on your back, so there's nothing wrong with your adrenals. And it, it, it was sort of looking for these extreme things. I'm like, no, I, I know something isn't right, but maybe it's not quite to the point of being flat on my back and, and twitching. Uh, but it, I felt like like that wasn't the right path for for hacking myself. That's that's for sure. And, and you had the same experience. Uh, talk to me about those twenty six titanium screws you've got. What happened with your with your jaw, and how did that influence your perspective on these things? Yeah, um, actually, I did, how did you find out about that? Did I write that somewhere, or I may have said it in another? I podcast. have spies. We have a, a broad network of bulletproof mafia. No, <laughs> I, I do my I do my research. It's actually a lot of work to interview someone before you actually get them on. So, yeah, yeah, no, you don't have I to talk about it if you don't want to, but it, it's really interesting. No. So. No, what happened was uh, I started seeing you know, an orthodontist for braces when I was an undergrad student, and the orthodontist referred me to an oral surgeon and said that you know I was maxillary deficient. So basically, I had an underbite or an overbite. And so he went in, the oral surgeon, you know, they basically put the fear of God in you, telling you you're going to lose your teeth if you don't have the surgery, things like that. And I was actually under anesthesia for eight hours, which, you know, all the oral surgeons I've talked to afterwards said the surgery should never have gone past three and a half hours. So this guy, you know, he put in 26 titanium screws and several plates. And uh, that was, a, a, you know, obviously a huge stressor to my body, a huge trauma. And, uh, you know, coming out of it, I probably had Lyme disease all along, and my immune system was able to keep it at bay. But after experiencing that stressor, um, it, it came to from being subclinical to clinical. So I started developing symptoms. But you know, living in the southeast, of course, most MDs say Lyme doesn't exist here, yada yada. Um, but obviously, we know that ticks can't read uh, road signs, so. I went from being subclinical to clinical with my Lyme symptoms, but, you know, I was really being treated all along, even by other integrative doctors for things like candida, heavy metal toxicity, and those all helped, but it wasn't until I started really going after the Lyme disease and mold toxicity, which I know you're very, very familiar with, um, that uh, I started making any headway. And so, you know, it was very frustrating trying to explain to people, like, I have the dreaded genotype, you know, my immune system doesn't bind to mycotoxins, so they build up in the body, interfering with other endocrine glands and hormones, disrupting alpha MSH, 
causing leaky gut, contributing to inflammation. Um, so, you know, going after those things helped me a lot. I'd say I'm, you know, not completely recovered, but I've made headway uh, with treatment with the Lyme. But, you know, I probably went 20 years or so undiagnosed. It's really interesting that we started talking about the jaw and ended up with Lyme. Uh, uh, Dr. Dwight Jennings was just on on Bulletproof Radio. He's a friend who's realigned my jaw. So I had uh, essentially, uh, it would have been an, uh, an underbite. And same, same sort of thing, like, you know, I had one doctor, one dentist say, you know, you, you should basically take out most of your teeth and replace them with, uh, with bridges and all uh, for even a, a different reason. But, but I fortunately went to a saner kind of uh, physician. Both Dr. Jennings and Dr. Gallagher, um, who's since passed away, Dr. Gallagher was one of the preeminent ozone dentists out there. But both of them had radically different ways of approaching the neuromuscular problems with dentistry. Uh, because, as you well know, if someone has their hands in your mouth for eight hours holding your jaw open, your trigeminal nerve tied directly to your fight or flight response gets triggered, and oftentimes it doesn't get untriggered. And when that gets triggered, bam, opportunistic things like Lyme and, and other things just they climb up. And yeah, I had active Lyme. I had uh, mold toxicity, which I think was a trigger for the active Lyme. And it's entirely possible to recover from every one of those things, uh, but it isn't as easy with metal in your body, right? Right. So, yeah, and it, it was hard for me to find a surgeon who would uh, was even willing to remove the screws. And some of them he couldn't get to. There was too much bone development around them. They had been in for too long. Um, but I think he removed 18 or 19 of the screws and I think two of the titanium plates. And I'm sure you're well aware of cavitations in the jaw and, you know, how they can release bacteria into the body. And uh, that can be an aggravating factor in both both Lyme and mold. Explain that for, for people who are listening uh, in their cars. Um, just what is the cavitation? How does all that stuff work? Because if you experience that, that's, that's actually a big problem for people they don't know about. Yeah, so cavitations, another word for it is osteonecrosis or basically death of the bone. Um, it's pockets of infection in the jaw, and depending on the person uh, and the infection, there'll be different types of bacteria. There's a lab you can send it. If the bone is removed, you can send it off to, and they'll detel detect and tell you which species were discovered. And so it becomes a problem because if you're constantly releasing, um, you know, these bacterial uh, toxins into the bloodstream, you know, that's wearing down the immune system. And Dietrich Klinghardt talks a lot about cavitations and how they're connected. And there's a, actually a naturopath and a dentist in the UK who believes that uh, Lyme begins in the mouth. Um, you know, she's done a lot of imaging and finding spirochetes, you know, in the saliva of people. So uh, the cavitations can be an issue because traditional dentists don't pick up on it because regular x-rays don't pick up on it. EAV testing, which is basically testing the electrical current, that can pick up on it, uh, as well as a machine called a cavitot which there's only a handful in the country, those are the most sensitive ways to detect if you're actually are dealing with a cavitation at all. It's interesting what these things can do, and I, I'm so impressed that you managed to pull the metal out of your mouth. Um, I've had a screw in my knee since I was 23, so almost 20 years, and I recognize that it's not a good thing to have in there, particularly because my wife and I ran a company that 
could diagnose an immune response to metal in the body. And I have an immune response to titanium, which is what the screw is made out of. But I've never been able to find a doctor who was willing to remove it. So the Melisa test? Yeah, yeah. We used to run uh, Melisa uh, USA. And uh, that's exactly the test. And it's, uh, in fact, uh, I met Dieter Klinghart that way. I shared a hotel room with him at the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine once. Like just an amazing guy who just knows stuff. And there's this whole community of, of people who are paying attention to genes and metal and electrical currents in the body. And these are, I mean, you guys are, are frankly kind of at the very cutting edge of medicine. And you, you like put on your futurist hat and you go forward 20 years and the stuff that you're talking about will be mainstream. But right now it's, it's rough going. And um, the fact that you actually went to the, the point of going through the pain and trauma of removing screws from your mouth because you did the research and decided, okay, this is enough of a medical problem because it's creating a battery effect and small amounts of current over the palate of your mouth, which is one of the densest areas full of acupressure points, might just be bad for you. So you, you did the work, and I, I respect the heck out of that. It was painful, trust me. <laughs> I bet it hurt. Uh, is there something from that experience that translates to people who, you know, maybe have a root canal or people who have something that isn't quite right? Like, how do you go from the extremes where you've been from a health perspective, where I've been and recovered from? How do you derive value from that when you're someone who's like, you yeah, know, I feel pretty good. You know, I'm a little tired. Uh, you know, I, I work really hard. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's normal to be a little bit low, it, it, stuff like that. Like, is it a spectrum? How do you how do you approach someone who isn't as sick as you or I were? Yeah, I mean, what I tell people is that all disorders really exist on three levels. Uh, the first level being an energetic level. That's where, you know, like bioelectric um, or um, dermal scanning would come into play. And so, you know, if I asked someone with an energetic imbalance if they felt bad, normally they would say no. The next level would be a functional disorder like chronic fatigue syndrome where there's no specified markers for it, but it's a very, very real thing. Then the last level is a lesional disorder where it picks up or an x-ray or MRI or blood test can pick up on some abnormalities. So, you know, it depends on where you are on that spectrum as to whether or not you're expressing symptoms. And, you know, typically people associate their problems with the last stressor that they had that caused the symptoms. So they probably had, you know, these accumulating stressors over their lifetime, uh, you know, what we call the allostatic load, the total stress load in the body, and then they finally had maybe a car accident or a surgery or a mold exposure, and that kind of threw them down this, you know, proverbial vortex, and in order to bring them back, you know, requires, you know, IV nutritional therapy, supplementation, diet changes, sleep hygiene, circadian rhythms, all those sorts of things. But like you were saying earlier with the, an endocrinologist, you know, they recognize the extremes. They recognize Addison's disease and Cushing's, but they don't believe that anything exists between it. And the truth of the matter is, you know, let's take diabetes, for example. You don't go from perfect insulin sensitivity to being diabetic overnight. You know, there's a spectrum. And so I think everyone kind of falls along, you know, that spectrum at different points. Um, 
but I think it's important to get some form of lab testing done uh, every six months, definitely every year, because unless you test, you really don't know, and a lot of times uh, you may find out uh, that something's wrong and it's too late. Yeah, waiting until things are broken and you really can't take another step is, is really a, a bad idea. Uh, running the Silicon Valley Health Institute which is a 20-year-old anti-aging education group, it has been illuminating for me because most of the members there are 60-plus. And you look at how hard they're working, how much money they're spending to reverse mistakes they made when they were young. And, and one of the things that inspired me to do, uh, to do the whole Bulletproof website was that well, basically, I was old when I was young. I had arthritis in my knees when I was 14. Uh, I dealt with all this stuff up to and including my mid-20s. And I used a lot of these techniques that older people were using to, to stay younger to fix myself. And I, I just realized, man, if someone had just taught me this, to have that preventative side, uh, things would have been really a lot easier for me. So that, that was the motivation to, to start writing the stuff that I write. Um, and what, what you're finding is, is a similar thing, it, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, you know, people a lot of times come to me, they want to do some functional lab testing, and, uh, you know, I have to help them prioritize testing, you know, if they can only afford so much. And I tell them, there's no need to test for magnesium deficiency. You're deficient in magnesium. There's no need to test for leaky gut. You have leaky gut. It's a waste of money, you know, and same thing for heavy metals. You know, it's not a matter of if you have heavy metals, but how much. And uh, a lot of, we'll get into this more later, but, you know, if your detox pathways, phase one, phase two, and phase three, if they're imbalanced and you do a provocation test, sometimes it just redistributes metals to other areas of the body, you know, and can cause an exacerbation of symptoms. Let's talk about that in a bit more detail, because I think some people who are listening who don't quite understand like, like which metals we're talking about or what, it, what the uh, challenge test looks like or provocation test looks like. Uh, will you like just unpack that a bit for people? So it, what, what metals are we talking about? And then what would you do to if you have them, which you say most people do, and I would agree, um, what would you do about it? What would you see from them? So with metals, you know, we have heavy metals and toxic metals. Some metals like aluminum are toxic, but they're not technically considered heavy. But uh, in general, we're referring to things like mercury, titanium, arsenic, aluminum. Those are probably the most common heavy metals. And I, I think I read a statistic that 6 million uh, pounds of mercury is released every year into the environment. So, you know, we're all certainly exposed. And uh, as far as what the heavy metals do or the toxic metals do, they can disrupt mitochondrial function, which the mitochondria, you know, are the batteries of your cells. They're what drive all your tissue function. So if they're not working, it affects every organ system in the body. Aluminum in particular is very damaging to the the uh, mitochondria, uh, but they also suppress the immune system, mercury does, and uh, it can interfere with thyroid and adrenal function, as well as brain fog and uh, interfering with insulin sensitivity. So, you know, we have these metals, typically our bodies have, you know, enough wisdom to try and store them away in our fat or adipose tissue. Um, when you do a provocation test, which is where you take a 
what's called a chelation agent, something like DMSA or DMPS. You take that and you collect your urine a few hours later. So that's basically pulling the metals out of the tissue so we can gauge your total body burden of heavy metal toxicity. Because if we just measure your urine without the provocation agent, you know, most of the time you're not going to be expelling metals. The other ways are, you know, to check hair. Hair, I found, is good for ratios of nutrients, uh, but the studies I've come across, especially in kids with autism, even though their total body burden of mercury is very high, their hair level of mercury is very low. So with these metals, you know, there's various ways to get them out. Um, that actually kind of ties a little bit into methylation, but uh, glutathione is a potent chelation agent and a natural way to to get uh, metals out and get them to the liver. Um, alpha lipoic acid, um, DMSA, DMPS, um, those are kind of harsh for some people, especially if they have high levels of metals. And you really want to start you know, by not isolating the metals, but looking at the total body function. So, you know, in a healthy body, most of the time, metals come out through the stool. But when you have malabsorption or maldigestion, it shifts the stress to the kidneys. And that's why you see so many people with altered BUN to creatinine ratios. So, um, you know, metals can come out via the urine or via the stool. And actually, certain types of bacteria in the gut can change the form of mercury. So if you have mercury amalgams, um, I think that's ethyl mercury, and then the bacteria in the gut change it to methyl mercury. And Chris Shade from Quicksilver Scientific uh, does a mercury speciation test where he measures the different types of mercury, um, which I think can be helpful. But for most people, I generally start, even if I know they have heavy metals, working on gut health because that takes some of the stress off the liver and then providing liver support and some sort of drainage remedies can be very helpful for people to just normally uh, support the typical physiologic actions versus, you know, more potent chelation agents. So, so if you're listening to this and you've just heard uh, Tim, who knows what he's talking about, saying pretty much if you're alive, <laughs> you have heavy metals, and it's mostly because we've been burning insane amounts of high mercury coal that releases this stuff into our food chain, and it accumulates in plants, and you get it. Now, you might say, well, I'm not really affected by this, right, because I, like, I'm here. The, the problem is, it's like, uh, imagine that, that you're Superman, and somebody pulverized kryptonite and just made a powder of it and just sprinkled it around. And it gets into your body when you eat something, and then it's in there, and you're just a little bit weaker than you were before. And you know you can push through, and you can you know hold your hold yourself hold yourself back, and really you know you, you can make it happen. Except, well, at a certain point, it gets to a level where like really all of your energy is going into it. So what I found for me, I had high mercury too, uh, and I did go through chelation with oral DMSA and, and intravenous DMPS and some EDTA intravenously as well. And if you don't know what those are, that's okay. Those are basically agents that are used to stick to these metals to make you pee them out or poop them out as the case may be. And you can add fiber and you can add cilantro and there's various other things like that. But here's the deal. Even if you're a high performer, if you've never measured your metals 
or you don't preventatively do things like eat chlorella with your sushi like I recommend in order to help you escort these things out of your body, over time they're going to build up and you won't feel it. It's a slow right. decline in performance. And the whole point here is that if you can find this, and even if you don't find it, you just take simple steps to lower your body burden of these things, they slow you down. And it's not a binary, I'm either sick or I'm not sick, you're just lessened. And I don't want that for you or for me or for anyone else. That's why, Tim, frankly, that's why I asked you on the show. Like, talk about that. Yeah. So what would someone feel long before, long before they get sick? Like, before they, you know, before they get to where you and I ended up, where we're, like, pretty darn sick. So let's say your mercury levels are just creeping up. What are the first symptoms to look for? Uh, it can manifest differently depending on what other metals are um, in there along with it, you know, depending on if they have aluminum, arsenic, etc. But uh, you could notice decreased thyroid function, which, you know, if you're not that familiar with the thyroid, your body temperature may slowly start to lower. Your energy level may slowly start to decline. Your uh, concentration and memory may slowly start to deteriorate. And a lot of people say, oh, it's just age, it's just age. But it's not just age. When you have these things gradually creeping up, you may also notice increased infections. So, you know, mercury uh, and other heavy metals kind of live in these biofilm communities. Biofilm is just a shield basically made by the microbes to hide from the immune system. And they kind of hang out in there with the pathogens. And so um, mercury can definitely cause or exacerbate candida infections, lead to reactive of certain viruses like Epstein-Barr, HHB6, uh, those things. And, you know, from there, you know, it, it just typically gets worse. And, you know, if you're not having regular bowel movements and, you know, you're not staying hydrated with electrolytes and things like that, then you're definitely, you know, being exposed and you're getting this cumulative effect of biotoxins basically over time. So to make that into an actionable piece of advice for, for someone sitting in their car now uh, or someone watching this at, at home on video, okay, so, so now, now let's, I'm, I'm concerned. Maybe I have some mercury or some other metals. I probably do. I've been flying, you know, I live in a big city, all the other things like that. So what should I do first? Well, first of all, I would say work on your gut health. Make sure you're moving your bowels because you never want to mobilize things that you can't excrete. Okay, and uh, the kidneys, uh, you know, if they're stressed enough over time, uh, what can happen is they kind of scar down, and you know, you get kind of a mild form of uh, glomerulonephritis type stuff. So, working on digestive health, you know, people say, well, what does that have to do with detoxing mercury? Well, it takes some stress off the liver, phase one and phase two pathways, which you need to detox heavy metals. So, things actually steps to optimize gut health you know you can do a stool test to make sure you don't have any pathogenic bacteria or yeast or parasites optimizing any deficiencies in the probiotics or good bacteria but also making sure your digestive chemistry and your digestive sequencing is working and what I mean by that is uh, you know you have sufficient stomach acid 
which triggers you know the sufficient production of bile or release of bile which then triggers the release of pancreatic exocrine enzymes so a lot of people think pancreas insulin but the pancreas also produces digestive enzymes so um, you know by optimizing your digestion um, it's one less stressor to the liver and then you can something simple like glutathione you know everyone needs glutathione I think you know I, the statistics I've read show that the lower your levels of glutathione the higher your risk of every disease out there so uh, increasing your red blood cell glutathione levels uh, will also help to excrete metals it it's kind of funny I don't know if if I sent you some I didn't plan that ahead of time uh, but I make a, a glutathione with a, a special absorption technology and it specifically to raise my own glutathione levels because I know how important it is to maintain healthy levels of metals in the body. Uh, so I kind of make the stuff that I want to use. I also get intravenous glutathione. Whenever I'm at a naturopath who offers intravenous stuff, I get IV glutathione along with a Myers cocktail and mix of methylated B vitamins and other things because it works. Like you can feel the difference with that stuff. It's pretty noticeable. Do you do Myers cocktails or, or do you recommend them? Uh, I think I've gotten only one or two Myers cocktails in my life, but I've gotten IV ozone, hydrogen peroxide, vitamin C, Poly MVA, IV chelation, you name it, I've gotten it uh, in IV form. And glutathione, you know, it's important that you brought that up because some people drip it and it has a completely different effect if you push it versus dripping it. Uh, when you push it, it overwhelms the oxidative system. So, yeah. And, you know, the max dose from the research I've done is you can go up as high as 10 grams. So, you know, if you're toxic with metals, you probably don't want to... Yeah, okay. ...in a push. And you said if you're toxic with metals, what? Yeah, if you're toxic with metals, I certainly wouldn't... I'd start with a very low dose, like a, you know, a few hundred milligrams or one gram. And uh, because it will give you energy, but you're also going to mobilize toxins. So um, you want to make sure you're able to excrete those and that you don't have a flare-up of any of your symptoms or make yourself worse. Yeah, it's a, it's a complex system in there, and, and anything, at least I've found in my own experience and my research, anything you can do to make your liver or your digestive system better at getting rid of the crap that gets in us, that stuff that even forms during our metabolic processes, it makes you feel better. Uh, there are also anti-aging effects, and, and you're more resistant and more resilient. Uh, but to sort of say, well, I, I'm fine, so I'm going to ignore the effect of anti-nutrients and toxins in the world, it it doesn't lead to a high-performance life. It, I just don't know another way to say it. Right. Let's switch gears and let's talk about this gene that you know maybe 50% of the population have. We're talking about the methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase gene, which you probably have heard me mention before as MTHFR. Um, what is this gene and why should anyone listening care about it? Yeah, so it's technically, you know, I, a lot of times we say mutation because people can identify with it. Technically, it's what's called a, a SNP or single nucleotide polymorphism. And all that means is that our DNA is made up of four letters, A, T, C, and G. Typically, A binds to T and C binds to G. 
Um, these are your nucleotide bases that make up the double helix. Uh, if the body puts down the wrong letter in the wrong place, you end up with a single nucleotide polymorphism. So there's a different letter and a different base pair at that position. So all of our genes code for enzymes. So if that gene coding or transcription is uh, interfered with, it interferes with the enzyme function. So if you have one copy of MTHFR, which is referred to as being heterozygous, that can slow the function down by 30 to 40 percent. If you have two copies, it's usually more around 60 to 70 percent. And the reason uh, this polymorphism is so important is because it really has a footprint in many different areas of the body. You know, if we can just kind of briefly go over those. So neurotransmitters, especially serotonin and dopamine, are created through methylation. Glutathione, our favorite molecules made through methylation. Myelin, the coating around our nerves, is made through methylation and also certain growth factors that deliver nutrients to cells, amino acids, things like that. So, and it also plays a role in controlling viral uh, replication. So viruses are typically um, suppressed. They incorporate their DNA into our DNA. But if we're methylating well, then that means that those viruses are suppressed. And so methylation, it's not just one reaction. It's over 100 reactions, and it happens over a billion times a second in every cell in the body. And, uh, you know, anytime we see something happening that much, you know, it, it's a clue that it's incredibly important. So if people are interested in, in knowing what their methylation genetics look like, uh, I, I've recommended, and the one the way I, I did this, well, I've gone through Amy Yasko, I, I've gone through her work, who she's one of the first people to really talk about this in autism. Um, which is a relatively expensive analysis, but it comes with a lot of, of, of analysis on top of the data. But with a 23andMe data, with the various free services, you can actually get this done. And so as, as we're sitting here talking, I just pulled mine up from, from Genetic Genie. And uh, um, it looks like it'll probably come up in a second here. Um, but I, I know that I have a bunch of my genes that, that don't work that particularly well in the, the methylation side of things. And... Uh, so if you, is that a safe way to do it? Like, would you recommend that, that that's the, the cheapest way for the average layperson, maybe who isn't suffering from chronic illness, but just wants to know like, hey, should I take supplements with folic acid? Like, like if, if you have the genes that say you shouldn't, then you shouldn't take them. And there's no excuse for any supplement manufacturer putting folic acid in a supplement. If, if, if it's in there, it means they didn't do their homework. I agree. And uh, yeah, I think the 23andMe test for the, uh, the cost, $99, you know, it tests thousands and thousands of polymorphisms. So uh, it's very much worth the money. A lot of people are confused because they heard about the FDA slapping them on the wrist. But you can still get what's referred to as your raw data, which is RS and then a long ID number. And then you can use one of the programs, like you mentioned, like Genetic Gene 
or Livewello um, that will give you a report and tell you, you know, you have one copy of this polymorphism or no copies or two copies. And so, you know, it's a great way to get a lot of data. And, um, you know, we're constantly finding more and more SNPs. Um, but what I try to emphasize to people is that, you know, the SNPs have been around for thousands of years. It's the stressors that we encounter, heavy metals, emotional stress that cause these genes to be turned on or turned off. So methylation plays a big role in, you know, whether genes are turned on and turned off. Um, so typically we want things like oncogenes or cancer-causing genes to be turned off. But if we're not methylating well, then those genes can become turned on or be turned on. So, um, you know, methylation, it, it impacts so many different systems in the body. Um, it impacts ATP production, CoQ10, carnitine production as well. So it, it can affect uh, mitochondrial function too. So when I did my analysis, I realized I'm, I'm relatively lucky in that I, I'm uh, heterozygous for two of them, MAOA and CBSA360A. Now, if you're listening to this in car, you're like, who the heck cares, right? Well, there's what, I don't, I never actually counted these. There's what, about 20, 18 or so that, you, that you're going to see in a normal methylation analysis, 20 different SNPs? Yeah, if you do live well, they have like an 18 page report, so they'll have a lot more. But Genetic Genie, yeah, has about 18 to 20. How do you spell that? I don't know that one. Uh, it's L I V E. What's the Lidwello? Uh, L I V E W E L L O. All right, I'll put that in the show notes for people, and, and we'll do a little descriptor of like how you can run your own methylation. But it, it's kind of really intriguing to just know, hey, it's not like the 23andMe analysis, uh, you have a 10% greater risk of getting Alzheimer's disease, uh, which is entirely lifestyle-based because it's a small difference. Like this is basically take basic care of yourself and that risk is probably not gonna matter, but it is there in your genes. This is like, hey, your body doesn't, like this is a major risk for you in that if this pathway gets clogged up because you take too much of a supplement like folic acid, um, then everything else kind of grinds to a halt and this whole system of cellular detox breaks and then you really get sick. And, and just that little bit of knowledge, I wish I'd had that when I was 20 because I would have just made slightly different choices and it probably would have made me much healthier over time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, methylation, uh, you know, these other polymorphisms, like you mentioned CBS, that can come into play uh, because of um, it can elevate sulfur levels or sulfite levels, as well as ammonia levels, and that can affect brain function. Um, so, you know, the 23andMe looks at the actual SNPs, um, but there's a test from Doctor's Data that's a methylation profile. Um, and then there's another one from a European lab called Health Diagnostics and Research Institute. And that one's the most comprehensive. It measures about 15 different markers, including oxidized versus reduced red blood cell glutathione, you know, red blood cell folate, red blood cell B12. The doctor's data is more accessible here. It doesn't take as long to complete, but it looks at 
what's called SAM, S-adenosylmethionine, and SAW, S-adenosylhomocysteine, which are just two metabolites in this pathway. So, you know, there's a lot of metabolites that, you know, are constantly getting converted into other things. And, um, you know, homocysteine, most people have heard about it because it increases your risk of cardiovascular problems. And if you have MTHFR, especially the C677T version, you're more likely to have elevated homocysteine. So if homocysteine is elevated, we know that you have a methylation issue. But it can be normal or even low, and that can also indicate a methylation problem. So having those other markers like SAM and SAW can be important because looking at the SAM to SAW ratio can kind of give you uh, an indication of whether you're undermethylating, meaning you know you, you don't have enough methyl groups, or you're overmethylating. Maybe you're taking too much methylfolate or methyl B12. So we probably just uh, just scared about half the people listening, going, "I I have you know SAM versus SAW," and, and like to understand these ratios, you would need to dig in a little bit, or you go to someone who can help you analyze the data. So if you go to these websites we just talked about, Genetic Genie or LiveWello, and we'll put those links up, um, they'll help you do this. You're talking about a $99 saliva test. Now you have all this data, you can click around and do your own homework and go, oh wow, like th this is interesting and funny, these weird peculiar things I know about myself match these methylation results. That maybe explains why sulfites bother me in wine, for instance. Something like that may be genetic, so you can start peeling back the onion yourself, but if you don't want to go to this trouble of, of understanding all those things, what kind of a care provider would you go see to get these tests? Ah, it's a million dollar question um, because like you mentioned before, you know, 20 years from now, it'll be, you know, standard practice, but, you know, there's really no classes per se you can go to. Uh, ben Lynch does offer um, some courses here and there, but basically it could be a naturopath, it could be a chiropractor, it could be a functional medicine provider like myself. I, you know, I interpret these tests almost every day um, to look at the polymorphism but also the functional profiles to see how the cycle's working and you know look at that in combination with your hormones and your digestive health because I'll just pick a polymorphism COMT um, that slows down how well you process catecholamines which are things like norepinephrine and epinephrine, basically your fight or flight neurotransmitters. But it also affects your ability to process estrogen. So if you have this COMT polymorphism, instead of excreting estradiol or estrogen through the stool, it may just re-enter the enterohepatic circulation. And you know that for men, it basically blocks testosterone at the receptor level and can cause all sorts of problems, mood issues, uh, most people think high testosterone causes problems, but it's usually more high estrogen that causes problems. So, so when, when I first started looking into this stuff about 15 years ago and I got some my first hormone panels done in my, my late 20s, I had way more estrogen than testosterone. And okay, if you ran this $99 test basically and you understood that you had a problem with estrogen secretion, and you had, well, I think the, the affectionate word would be man boobs, like I used to have, uh, or the more weightlifter term, bitch tits. Um, 
<laughs> if this is a problem for you, and it, it's not that fun, you know, I used to be like kind of an A cup. Um, <laughs> okay, this could be genetic. And if you know that, or on the flip side, okay, it's that lovely perimenopause time. And you're having some weird symptoms and your body doesn't clear estrogen like other women because of your basic methylation pathways. Well, then if you know this, you can do things as a guide to block the conversion of testosterone to estrogen or to increase your excretion of estrogen using natural or, or, or pharmaceutical approaches. But just knowing, now all of a sudden you understand why you've got that healthy A cup or you understand why you've got weird emotional issues that your other friend going through perimenopause didn't have. So like, like this is the way to understand what's happening in your human body, which, which is why it's so fascinating and it's so annoying that the vast majority of physicians who get you know three minutes to see someone and really want to help, they don't have time to learn this stuff and they don't have time or insurance uh, info in order to cover a $100 genetic profile test that can unleash all of this knowledge on, on ourselves. Right. Right. Yeah. And like you mentioned, you know, it's important to look at the polymorphisms along with the actual hormone test, because a lot of times, you know, you may have the polymorphisms that say you may not excrete estrogen well, but when we look at your actual hormones, either in blood or 24 hour urine, they may be low, even though we expected them to be high because there's, you know, so many other various factors that can come into play. And that's where you really want to work with the functional medicine provider, you know, who looks at all the different parts, uh, you know, there's hormone replacement clinics popping up everywhere. They're kind of like Starbucks, but unfortunately, you know, they just look at the hormones and they don't understand how digestion affects liver health, which affects hormones or how neurotransmitters stimulate the production of certain hormones. And so when you, you know, look at that insular approach, it very rarely uh, produces the results that someone wants. Uh, it's, uh, it's true. If you look at the, the body as a collection of, of just independent systems, you'll fix one and you won't understand why the others broke. But when you realize it's a system of systems, it, it gets more complex, but it, it's more fun. And, and it means monitoring, getting those tests is way more important. And why I, I just wish that someone had, like I wish that we had known this and I wish that someone had put all of this in some sort of a functional, usable framework uh, years ago because I, there's no excuse for me uh, having had to spend $300,000 on hacking myself and on fixing all these things. And frankly, I spent a lot of that going beyond where I ever thought I would be. Like, like there's a, an element of that that's way upgrading and there's an element of just getting back to like basic. And I couldn't tell you I spent you know forty eight thousand dollars here or whatever, but but that kind of investment, most people are never fortunate enough to be able to do that. I was fortunate enough to do that, but it came at great cost. You know, like I'll drive an older car so I can spend a thousand dollars a month on you know fixing things or on making things better. And I certainly spent a lot of years doing that. But what about those people who can't afford that? Like, how do we make this kind of stuff accessible so that it's just built into our healthcare system? Like, do you have hopes in your life of that happening? Yeah, you know, I think it, it, a lot of it comes down to politics, and we got to get the pharmaceutical lobbyist out of Washington. You know, if insurance companies, but is there a difference? You know, if you pull them out of Washington, is there anything left? Well, you know, I, I feel like they have such an influence. <laughs> yeah, no, there's nothing left. 
there, that's pretty much all that's there. And a lot of people think that, you know, if it's pharmaceutical, then it's scientific and research-based. But uh, what you and I are talking about is completely evidence-based, but we can't force people to read the evidence. You know, I think it, the prices will come down. Um, a lot of times what people don't realize, for example, you know, if you did, a, say, a full thyroid panel through one of the functional labs that I use, it's $150 out of pocket. But if you have insurance and you go to LabCorp and have it done and you haven't met your deductible, it may be six or $700. So sometimes it's actually cheaper paying out of pocket and uh, getting that information. Of course, traditional MDs don't like this direct-to-consumer type testing because they want to be the gatekeeper. So, you know, it's a, a pain in their rear, but, um, you know, people are becoming more and more knowledgeable and doctors get insulted because, you know, they don't know something. But I think over time, you know, testing will, prices will come down. I think more labs will come up. And, you know, you probably saw it, but at the Cleveland Clinic, they're actually opening a, a functional medicine clinic there with Mark Hyman. And so it's gradually. Yeah, Mark is a Mark is a good friend. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was saying Mark's a good friend, and we we talked about that on the uh, on the show when Mark came on because uh, it's such a groundbreaking thing that the the Cleveland Clinic, which is so steeped in traditional Western, uh, you know, pharmaceutical based medicine, to have a, a guy like Mark with his approach to have you know the 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 head people there try a detox program and to see it work like that changes the world i i, I love it that you mentioned that because i that was one of the most exciting pieces of news i've heard like in the last quarter <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely i mean you know cleveland clinic mayo cdc they're all you know kind of the ivory tower academic uh centers but you know if you looked at functional medicine most of the time it's more evidence-based than traditional medicine People don't realize that just because something is a prescription drug doesn't mean it's evidence-based or they haven't, they don't know that six out of the nine people that make the cholesterol standards have financial ties to the companies that make statin drugs. So, you know, those are stats that are important for people to know. A lot of times, you know, you get called a conspiracy theorist, but these are just facts. And it's important for people to be informed, I think, so that, you know, I think it was in Michigan just a few weeks ago or a few months ago, um, a doctor was diagnosing healthy people with cancer and selling chemo out of his office, making millions. And so, you know, things like that happen. Uh, and, you know, I'd like to think most most MDs, you know, they do the best they can with what they have, the skills and time they're given. Um, but, you know, more and more are, you know, looking for alternatives to the traditional system that we have. It, it's, a, it's a good sign. And when enough MDs are recognizing that they want to do something different for themselves than the insurance system and the regulations say they're allowed to do with their patients, uh, when that happens enough, and I see evidence of that all the time, you know, because I don't want to have you know, hip replacement surgery. I'll do some preventative stuff. Thanks very much, because I replace hips all day long, and it looks pretty painful. Right? <laughs> so if, if that's your perspective and you shift it for yourself, eventually we're going to just see this this happen because my experience has been the vast, vast majority of people who go to the, the time and expense and effort of going to medical school, they, they really actually want to help people get better. And when they realize, kind of like maybe you did somewhere on your path, 
that what they're doing doesn't work as well as they wanted to, uh, that they will start changing because they're motivated by helping. And, and that, that's a wonderful thing that, that bodes well for the future medicine. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, you know, a lot different than when I first started, you know, delving into functional medicine 13, 12 or 13 years ago. Um, I don't even know if integrative was a term then, but there was no, you know, Facebook groups for MTHFR or any of that. You know, I was going to the library, doing research, buying books, things like that. So it's definitely uh, taking steps in the right direction, I think. Well, Tim, we're coming up on the end of our time for the show today, and I want to ask you a question that everyone on the show has answered except that one guy I forgot somewhere in the, the early days. <laughs> and that question is, given all the stuff you've learned, your experience, you know, the, the screws you had to put in your mouth, your medical knowledge, but just your life's path, your top three most important recommendations you'd make for someone who wants to perform better. So if you want to kick more ass at whatever it is you do, do these three things. What would they be? Number one, fix your sleep because it affects so many hormones, inflammatory cytokines, brain power, um, motivation, everything. So optimize your sleep, which, you know, you have a lot of great articles and, and podcasts on. Number two, make sure that your digestion is optimal. Um, that may involve taking betaine hydrochloride or replacement stomach acid or probiotics because every nutrient in the body has to come through the digestive system. So fix your sleep, optimize your circadian rhythms, uh, optimize your digestion. And then number three, I would say optimize hormones. Anything from adrenals to uh, sex hormones like testosterone and progesterone um, because they literally do affect every tissue in the body, every cell in the body, and uh, you know that impacts brain function, immune function, risk for cancer, um, etc. And a lot of people don't know this, but you know, if thyroid function is low, that slows down detoxification as well, so you become more toxic. So fix your sleep, fix your gut, fix your hormones. Uh, very, uh, very sage advice, and thank you for sharing it. Where can people hear more about your work? Where can people find you online? Uh, it's www.healyourbody.org. And... Uh, also, they could contact me via email. It's drtim072981 at gmail.com. And uh, those two ways, um, they can contact me there. All right, we'll put that in the show notes. So if you head on over to bulletproofexec.com, we'll have a script of this. So if you wanted to get some of the letters we talked about or any of the other links, uh, those will be in the PDF you can download. Tim, thanks again for, for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would love it if you would take a minute to say thanks. And the way you can say thanks is by supporting this work, uh, by uh, picking up your next order of Bulletproof Coffee. Better yet, pick up a copy of the Bulletproof Diet and give it to a friend because you'll upgrade their brain, give them a little bit more willpower, and basically share the love. Uh, it took an enormous amount of effort to to condense the quarter million or so words on the Bulletproof website down into an actionable plan in the book. And I, I think it's worked and the, the feedback on Amazon has been has been positive. So thank you for leaving reviews for the podcast, leaving reviews on Amazon uh, for the book after you've read it. 
And thank you for supporting Bulletproof and supporting the podcast. Have an awesome day. One of the things you can do to make your brain work really, really well is you can remove toxins from your body. One of the most important antioxidants and toxin-binding substances in the body is called glutathione. That's why I created Upgraded Glutathione Force. This is a radical innovation in the glutathione world, small as it may be, because we use a patented technology that binds another molecule onto a liposome. So it's liposomal, but it absorbs in studies using this form of molecule up to eight times better than normal liposomes that don't contain the added boost. Check it out. Upgraded Glutathione Force on UpgradedSelf.com. A Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.